0: i Rebecca. I'm an alcoholic. I have a sobriety date, December fourth, two thousand sixteen. For that date, I'll forever be grateful. I didn't know I was getting sober on that date. Didn't know I needed to. Um, I have a sponsor, and I have home groups. And um, if anybody's new here, welcome. I hope you find what I found in AA. It has really changed my life. Um, if you don't have a sponsor and you need a sponsor, and everybody says get a sponsor, I think it's one of the most important things you can do. This is how you do it. You find somebody in the in the meeting that um, that you look at and they have what you want. You walk up to them and say, "Are you taking sponsors?" And if they are sponsees are or accepting sponsees right now, if they say yes. You say, "Will you sponsor me?" It's that easy. It's a real simple <laughs> ask. I mean, it's not more complicated. It's nerve wracking. It makes you anxious, but um, it's a really easy thing to do. Um, my first sponsor, somebody handed me someone's phone number and said, "Call this woman. She'll sponsor you." And that's what I did, um, and it forever changed my life. Um, I want to. Um, <laughs> Thank you for coming out with me tonight to speak, and Brie, you did an amazing job. I feel like we could all go home now. Um, at least I know that like there was some good sobriety shared tonight, so if I don't, then, you know, whew, pressure's off of me, so thank you so much for that. And um, I know Katie and Annabelle and Daniel, thank you for being on Zoom tonight. Katie, all the Zoomers out there, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And uh, Katie, I will be calling you after the meeting, so... <laughs> She's a sponsor of mine in Montana, and sometimes we miss each other, but we talk every day, and she's such a blessing. Um, So let's see. Um, Thank you, Genevieve, for asking me to speak. It's always an honor. Um, I appreciate it so much, and I don't know if anyone else in the room is as nervous as I am, or if it's just (laughs) me, if I'm just all alone here, but um, let's see. I uh, so, you know, I'm an alcoholic because I'm bodily and mentally different than others. Um, you know, I, I love the effect produced by alcohol. I mean, that's just like once I take that one drink, I will drink to oblivion every single time. I can't stop. Um, I was talking to my sister, who's very much a normie, and I think this just kind of describes like how she's a normie and how I'm an alcoholic to the team. Like you should know, I don't really like gin. I mean, it's not, I don't like the taste of it, but I will drink it for the effect. I mean, all of it for the effect. And uh, my sister told me one day, she said, you know, um, I used to drink uh, gin and tonics. And, and she said, I realized I didn't like the gin in the tonic. So I stopped drinking the gin. I just now drink tonic. Uh-oh. I was like, oh, so most of my friends are in the program. That's really embarrassing. Because <laughs> you never mentioned that to any of them because nobody will understand that. Because I said, you know, if I drink a gin and tonic, I would just ask why is the tonic in here, you know? I mean, it does nothing, it's a waste of time, like why bother to drink it? But that's the big difference between us, you know? That's, um, you know, I don't understand mixing it, I don't understand, um, you know, it's purely just for the effect. Um, so let's see, I grew up in a very small town in Missouri. There wasn't a whole lot going on there, the name of it was Farmington. I think just with the name of it, you kind of get a picture of like what Farmington was like. Um, You know, I lived out in the country, you know, I had three siblings um, and I had, um, you know, my parents were married throughout my childhood and, and they were, I think, like really great parents, but I think like with my alcoholism, like my perception of everything was like so much different. I diagnosed my dad at a very young age, I decided he was narcissistic. I mean, I don't know that he or any professionals will like agree with that diagnosis, but that was my diagnosis for him, that I was growing up with a narcissistic father. And my mom was very depressed and suicidal and would talk about sometimes like wanting just to like disappear, you know? And just like, I think you would all be better. Like without me, I'm just gonna move to St. Louis and, and let your father raise you. And I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds awful. But at a young age, you know, um, I think my other siblings just kind of went on with their life but I was like, this inside. I mean, I was just like, okay how do I hold this family together? How to like, I would talk to my parents about like, their marriage. And, and I thought like, I was just really inside like busy and working and like, making sure everybody was taken care of and happy and my parents wouldn't get divorced and probably looking back on it I kind of wish they had but you know (laughs) um, not up to me but um you know even in like high school I would call like marriage counselors for them and um I did all the grocery shopping and I made sure there was food on the table for my siblings and none of that like makes me an alcoholic I mean that is not um um you know it didn't cause me to drink it didn't um but it was that like inside that like couldn't breathe from a very young age um and you know i grew up going to a Lutheran school um and so like i have a like you know we have religion class every day we're to the chapel like i have a very like extensive like religion education but i never felt connected and AA has given me a language for that which is a malady, i have a disconnect from my fellows and from god you know i would go and i would pray and i'd be like what you know what is all this? Like, why are you know, people like, oh, wasn't it a great church service? And I'd be like, I don't know, I was bored, you know, or I just didn't get it. Like, um, but I wanted it, but I couldn't connect with it. And I do think my higher power has quite this, this humor that's <laughs> like, don't worry, maybe someday you'll have a connection, but you have to become an alcoholic and go to AA first to <laughs> find that, but you know, you're not getting the easy path there. So, um, so, um, and you know, my disconnect from others, like, I've never felt good enough. I mean, I kind of always was like, I should be the president of everything, but yet I'm probably getting fired. You know, like I don't have a sense of like, I'm, you know, the best person in the room and the worst at the same time. I mean, growing up, like I just wanted to be someone else and not me, i was so uncomfortable in my skin. You know, I was like, oh, look what she's wearing. Like I should, like, why am I wearing a dress? No one else is wearing a dress. Like they're all sitting there going, why is she wearing a dress? You know, I'm being judged for, you know? But it wasn't even that I needed like better than what other people had. I just wanted to be the same because I think I felt like, if I could be the same, if I could fit in, um, that I would, um, you know, like I would be okay and you would like me and I would like me because I didn't like me and I already knew that you didn't like me. So, you know, that was just, um, so it was difficult, you know, um, just, you know, growing up, I was a terrible student. I mean, mostly because I just didn't do any schoolwork, you know, um, I mean, you know, I mean, I have a learning disability, but Um, but I'm also very smart, and I also didn't apply myself at all, you know, um, somehow got through grade school, Um, you know, in high school, um, it's when I had my first drink, Um, I was probably 16, Um, well, let's see, I had been horseback riding, and so that was like my go-to, it kept me busy, like, you know, I'd go to little horse shows, and I'd show my horse, and I'd Win some ribbons, and so I was really busy doing that in the beginning of high school, and kept me focused. And then um, I had a horseback riding accident; horse fell on top of me. Had to have a spinal fusion. I'm just telling you all that because it fits in later. Um, but um, so that was the end of my, you know, illustrious like horseback riding career. So um, I, uh, you know, started hanging out kind of with the wrong crowd. Um, you know, I remember the first night um, I ever got drunk. I, um, a friend of mine, we went and asked someone to buy us some alcohol, and they bought us a bottle of Purple Passion. Most people don't know what that is. Some people don't, but it's a really like cheap, like grape soda with alcohol in it. We chugged it. Um, both of us drank half of it. We went to her house, and it's the first time in my life that I felt like I could breathe. You know, it wasn't just like the room was kind of spinning. It was a little bit funny, but just just like like making sure my family was okay, that I was okay. I didn't fit in spiritual malady, like all that. It was just like you know, I can breathe. Like I'm okay. Um, you know, life is going to be, you know, I can do this. This is, um, exactly what I needed. So, um, from that point on, I changed friends. Like I found 21 year olds I could hang out with. I stopped hanging out with, you know, my group of friends in high school and every opportunity I had to go find alcohol. That is what I did. Um, you know, just for that effect, that momentary, you know, um and I always drank to oblivion you know I wasn't the like get a six pack of beer I was like I need a case of beer you know there was I always had to make sure like I had enough because the worst thing that could ever happen to me is to be drinking and run out I mean (laughs) terrifying right (laughs) I'm like what would you do um and so you know I I somehow um oddly made it through high school basically I I don't really I mean I remember calling one teacher and saying like I don't think I've shown up to your class this year like do I have a grade? And she said, yeah, I think it was HOMAC. And she goes, I think you have a B. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll take that. That's probably my best grade I'm getting this year. So thank you for that. Um, But, you know, I went on to college and I don't know, in in college, um, you know, I partied, continued to drink, um, made it through college. I, um, you know, somewhere in my early twenties, I kind of veered away from drinking a little bit. I know that's (laughs) very strange. (laughs) Um, and, and kind of stopped, um, or, or was drinking more light and more me, I guess you would say, um, I hadn't crossed necessarily that like magical line at that point in my life. Um, so, you know, I really grew up with this like major resentment with my dad. Like he, like his nickname for me was from delicious. I mean, that because like I was just grumpy from the very beginning. I was like, who are you? I don't like you. You know, like I told you, I diagnosed him with stuff he doesn't deserve. but um, and he's really a great father, a nice man, you know. But um, I just grew up with this like, I don't like you and I'm here to run your life because um, I know you're here to run my life. So I decided, you know, after college, um, it made, you know, I went and had another job and then he offered me a job at his company and I was like, sure what a great idea. I would go work for the man that I present. Like, that is just genius. So, you know, as an alcoholic, I'm like, well, you know, that sounds easy, you know, go work for him. And
1: and I went there and, you know, I
0: started off as customer service and I moved up to um, an operations manager and, you know, I really worked hard and I, I you know, did a great job and still resented him the whole time and then I you know kind of started having a relationship with my boss which is kind of messed up because he owned the company you know and so I you know I was just so insecure and so and I have no excuses for it but um you know I just really was liking the attention you know I was early 20s and he was like late 50s 60s and I was like fantastic so for two years I kind of carried on this like secret relationship you know and um you know after about two years it became inconvenient to me um, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. I was like, you know, I kind of found another guy. So then I sit my dad down one day and I say, by the way, I'm being sexual harassed. <laughs> you need to do something about it. And, um, and he said, you know, he well, let's just say he wasn't very helpful. He really didn't do anything about it. He didn't switch my supervisor. He didn't, you know, I had all these expectations. I need you to do this or I need you to do that. You know, I've made a mess. I need you to clean it up. Um, It never occurred to me at the time how incredibly hurtful it was that he allowed me to come work for his company that he had built from nothing. And then to have this, um, you know, affair with my boss, that that would harm him. Like it never, and then when he wouldn't do anything about it, I slipped into the biggest resentment of my life that almost killed me. I just went in a spiral over. You know, why didn't he do anything? Why won't he help me? Why can't he treat me like an average employee? Why can't he? Um, And I never looked at my part in any of that. So um, I started developing some issues with chronic pain, most likely due to the resentment. I mean, I even had an infectious disease specialist tell me that, he was like, what's going on, you know? Um, And so um, I started developing a lot of migraines and um, some other health issues. And so the doctors were like, we will help you with that. And I said, thank you. So they started, you know, writing prescriptions. And it was, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then I was getting anxiety, so they are giving me something for anxiety, and it just continued, um, you know, year after year. I mean, you know, it started with a pain pill and it ended with fentanyl. Um, and so, any, you know, I didn't sleep at night because I was probably passed out all day. So then they were prescribing stuff for sleep. Like it talks, there's a story in the uh, back of the big book, and it talks about, um, you know, if I had an ailment, I went to the doctor. And I only went to the best doctors, mind you, like the good ones that said, you need to be on opiates the rest of your life. I was like, yes, you are a great doctor. If a doctor said maybe you should stop all these, I was like, your license should be revoked for sure. I am out of here. This is unsafe. Um, So, yeah, I am not, want nothing to do with you. So, um, you know, eventually I realized that my dad was too toxic, so I quit my job. And um, the next 10 years, I really just spent in a spiral. Um, I ended up being bedbound, housebound. I will tell you, I never missed a doctor's appointment once, ever. Like, you know, it was like, time for to the doctor. I was like, okay, you know, got all like, um, but, you know, it, my days were just, my life was really small. My days were really sad. Um, you know, I really only took a shower about once a week. Um, I never got out of bed. I you know, I was married at the time and you know, <laughs> I liked it. When I first got sober, I was like, he's abusive. But then I kind of look back on it and I'm like, well, I mean, when he came home and I was unconscious on the floor in the kitchen and the burners were on and he's yelling at me, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, mm, I might yell at somebody like that too. I mean, and I remember coming to you one time and looking at him and going, that's verbal abuse. You know, <laughs> like you are verbally abusive. So, um, but I, you know, um, you know, I, I, so I spent 10 years just completely, um, every day was to oblivion. I mean, I remember at times, um, you know, taking medicine and then being like, did I take it or not? I would take more and then be like, oh, I hope I wake up. I don't know if this time I'm going to wake up, but we'll see. Um, I, you know, and then I, I went to the doctor and my neurologist said, "You know what kind of helps with all that? Because I was like, that's aren't working. And she said, a couple of shots of vodka. Now I will tell you, I kind of thought I made that up. I really did. I was like, I, cause that just doesn't sound right. And I was talking to my mom about a month ago and she goes, I was in that neurologist appointment with you. And I remember that woman saying <laughs> that. And I was like, it was real. Cause it sounds like something alcohol would make up, right? You know, the doctor told me, um, so, uh, you know, it started off adding just like, you know, a couple shots, and then the next thing you know, it's a bottle, and then the next thing you know, it's a handle, and then it's five handles hidden around the house, and my ex-husband's yelling at me, and he's like, I know you need drugs, but if you ever drink again, I will divorce you. If I catch you, that was the main thing, like, if I catch you, drink again. I was like, you will never catch me. <laughs> Challenge accepted here, you know, like, that is not going to happen, so, you know. And I, you know, I'd hide bottles all over the house. Um, you know, I'd get up in the morning and I'd wait for the liquor store to open because I didn't want to drive drunk, you know? And I'd go to the liquor store. I would tell the guy at the liquor store, I'd be like, so every weekend, my husband has tons of friends over and they play poker and they drink all weekend. None of this was for him. This was all for me. But still, I needed to make sure the liquor store guy knew. And you know, I'm shaking. I'm like, I'm like, okay, so. And so then, you know, it's like, Kind of hard to explain the expense of it. So, so now I'm buying like the cheapest alcohol. So now I'm telling the liquor store guy, I'm like, okay, so this is what I'm doing now. I'm buying the cheapest vodka and I'm taking it home and putting an expensive vodka so that my husband will think that's what I'm buying. Again, I'm going home and drinking it. I'm like, none of that's actually happening. So, um, but you know, um, I would, um, you know, just it. So it was drinking to oblivion 24 7 it was dark i would i never prayed for sobriety because i didn't know i needed to get sober i mean i did honestly have some chronic pain i had a surgery um for migraines um it was pretty extensive pretty and it took about a year for the um, pain from that to subside but you know after that like i had crossed that line where i was powerless like i no longer had an option not to drink i mean i had lost all control um so let's see um so after that um and so you know i didn't tell any of the doctors anybody that i felt better i found a solution because i couldn't give up the you know the drinking or the prescriptions Um, i um let's see So I decided at some point that I would, um, oh yeah. Okay. So I decided all of this wasn't working, you know, because it didn't matter like how much alcohol, oh, a couple of fun things I did also was um, sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night um, and I'd have like a gun in my hand, you know, and I'd be like, I thought I was sleepwalking, like I'd wake up and I'd just be like, oh oh, I had a dream about the gun and all of a sudden I'd be like, oh, I'm standing here with a gun. Like, so I'm like, I think on the gun safe, we need to change the password so I don't know what it is, you know, and, and any of these things, like with the burners on or holding a gun in your hand or, you know, just walking around the house or, or not being able to like show up, like my ex-husband had skin cancer and he was like, I need you to drive me to the doctors. And I was like, no, I can't because I knew I wouldn't be sober. I was like, "There's no way I can physically drive you." I was like, "I'm, I'm sorry you have cancer, but you're going to have to find a different ride." Um, you know, that poor guy. Actually, I had the opportunity recently just to mail him um, my amends to him, and he's probably the person I tormented most. You know, I mean, I yelled at him, I screamed at him, um, I was drunk and passed out all the time. You know, I just didn't know how to um, function in life sober or shop for him. So you know, I decided that, and I continuously tried to find solutions, but I decided that I should go to rehab for chronic pain because alcohol is not my problem, you know So we're not going to get that fixed. So I um, found a rehab that would take me for um, chronic pain. And, and they suggested while I was there, I get off all opiates. and I was like, mm, I don't think so, but you know, we'll get my tolerance down so that I can go out and like live the way that I want to live. Um, and so that's my plan. And that's the whole reason I, I checked in there. You know, I went to there for, um, you know, 30 days and, and it just was what it was. My husband at the time, now ex-husband, came to the um, rehab. We did the little therapy thing. Two weeks from me coming home from that, he handed me divorce papers. And he was like, you know, I don't want to be, I was like, I'm finally getting better. And he's like, no, I just don't want to be married to you anymore. I'm done. And I was like, please take me back. You know, I was like, but I'm such a good wife. You know, I'm so wonderful. Um, And uh, he, you know, he said, I mean, he was like, absolutely not. You know, I don't want any part of you. You're, you know, a tornado and chaos in my life. And I I hate being married to you. And I just, I want this to be over. Um, So I decided it was a really great idea to move to Mexico. You know, I mean, my mom lived there. It makes sense. I was like, okay. And I just like left the house. I didn't help him pack it up. I didn't take anything with me. I put like a blue sticker on a few things I wanted. And I didn't know if I would get it or not, you know, but I was just like, you know, and and it was a toxic relationship. I mean, of course I was probably the most toxic part of it, but, um, so, you know, I moved to Mexico and, you know, in Mexico, you go to the doctor and they're like, how many do you want of this? And how many do you want of that? And I was like, this is great. So, um, you know, I moved down there and I just drank morning, noon, and night. I mean, I drank to wash the dishes. I drank before I took a shower. I drank to wake up. I drank to go to sleep. I, I mean, you name it like alcohol 24 seven. Um, at one point, um, my uncle had, um, unfortunately passed away. And so I was headed to the United States, um, to go to his funeral. And I got to the airport and my dog hadn't had her vaccines for long enough to be admitted back into the United States. And so they said, you know, you you can't leave. So I was like, okay. So I was just going back home and I had nothing to do that day. It wasn't a good day. It wasn't a bad day. It was just a day. I got home and was like, my schedule's free. I don't know how much alcohol I drank. I guess I gave myself alcohol poisoning. I don't know. I woke up the next day, just so sick. I mean, beyond, like I couldn't even breathe, you know, I was so incredibly sick and my phone had rebooted that night and I didn't remember the password to it. So I couldn't contact anybody. So I'm laying on the floor in Mexico and I just know that I'm dying. I'm like, this is it, you know? I mean, and I have a four month old puppy with me who I love and adore. And I'm like, I just laying on the ground. And after about 24 hours, um, one of my mother's friends happened to call and said, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm dying. I was like, I need an ambulance. And and the doctor came over and picked me up and they checked me into the hospital um, in Mexico, which was an experience. I don't recommend it you know like there's like no windows there's mosquitoes like at one point i'm walking around there with my ID falling out i'm like hello oh, it's like an atrium nobody else is there i'm like i'm pretty sure this is a horror film you know i'm like oh, this is scary um you know and and like that's where my drinking takes me like i'm in the hospital in mexico and so you would think after that i would say like oh and then the doctor's like did you drink and i said I had a couple a couple glasses of vodka you know i mean i would i just couldn't be honest i couldn't say like i probably drink half a handle i have no idea um so from that i um you know came home and i was like i'm i'm not gonna drink i need not to drink seven days later i still have other stuff <laughs> i mean i wasn't sober i still had other things but i um you know, I, seven days later, I took my little four-month-old dog and put her in a little papoose that I walked around in Mexico with her, you know, and I walked down to the liquor store and I remember buying this bottle of vodka and I remember her looking up at me and, I mean, in my mind, she's like, no, mommy, don't do this. And me thinking, I don't have a choice. I don't know how not to do this. I actually can't, like, not buy this alcohol right now. So, um... So I bought it, continued to drink, and I remember my mother one time saying to me, like, you're not fooling anybody. And I'm like, you're not either. You know, like, shame on you. Like, anything to protect my alcohol. And so it was like 10 a.m. and i have been drinking know, tequila. Um, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I get the DTs at this point if I don't have alcohol in my system. Like, I'm sick, I'm, um, you know, hanging over the sink, I'm like trying to like keep it down. Um, I... So I fly home to Missouri again for Thanksgiving and I'm like, okay, this is going to be great. I don't realize how like, how, you know, much I need to drink. I need that effect. I can't live without it. Um, so we have this whole liquor cabinet. There's like moonshine, everything. I mean, it like always my mother had a ton of alcohol and I drank it all. I mean, it was, there was nothing like Sherry, whatever, if it, vanilla extract gone. If there was alcohol in it, I consumed it. And I looked at my mother and I said, I need you to go buy me some alcohol. And she was, I was like, oh, you could probably use a handle of vodka, you know, that would be good. She's like, I thought we had some alcohol around here. And I was like, well, I don't know, where did it get? <laughs> Who did that? So, um, you know, she goes to the grocery store and she comes home with the smallest bottle of wine I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, it was regular size, but I'm like, that's what I would do for breakfast like that's going to get me through just a few hours like this is not i'm going to have a seizure and i somehow need to convince somebody else around me to go get me alcohol because you know um because i can't live without the effect you know and i can't just take that one drink and i can't i mean it was a very powerless feeling you know i was terrified so you know i surrendered that day um you know i was like "I, i think i need some help um i can't stop drinking um, because I have anxiety and depression. <laughs> I mean, you know, I wasn't like, I'm an alcoholic. I was like, well, if we get that fix, then I'm going to be okay. So I decided on that day to go back to the same rehab and, you know, I'm like, I'll check in for mood disorder and they're like, oh, or alcoholism. Cause that's what your insurance covers. And I'm like, okay, well, that's what my insurance covers. Okay. Well, I'll just do it for the insurance then. But we all know, Right. You know, so because I was always like very in charge, very had a plan, you know, this is the way everything's gonna work. So um I, you know, go back to that rehab, I was there for 45 days. I did all the you know stuff they were they told me to do, and uh, they suggested sober living, and I was like, hmm, but I've been here for 45 days, I don't really need sober living, but I don't know where I want to live because I think Mexico didn't work out really well. So sober living's for 90 days, I was like, hmm okay, so I'll go to California for 90 days and figure out where I want to live. You know, again, it wasn't about my sobriety or staying sober. I was like, all right, but that sounds fun. We'll go do that. Um, You know, and I hadn't been around people for like 10 years. So I like loved the whole sobriety scene, you know, like it was like the coolest thing. I was like, oh, there's people and you can talk to them. And I was like, this is very exciting. So I really enjoyed it. Um, And I kind of had a misunderstanding um, that saved my life with my rehab because they said, you have to go to four meetings, AA meetings a week. And I was like, why? Excuse me, I don't, Why? I'm here, I have health insurance. And it wasn't like a snotty thing, like, excuse me, I have health, it was just like, why do you have a 90 day program that I'm supposed to go to? And then you also tell me to go AA, like, that's weird. And the girl said like, uh, she goes, well, I have 10 years sober and I go to, you know, five meetings a week. I was like, what have you not learned? (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, and I'm like, I'm kind of a little panicked, of course, I didn't say this, out loud. I'm like, because I have a learning disability, does she have a learning disability, <laughs> uh, like, if she doesn't have a learning disability, how long do I have to to these meetings for, because I'm like, 10 years, that's a long time, I don't know, like, who, that's, so I, the misunderstanding was, I thought I'd get kicked out, and I was like, well, that just sounds inconvenient, i mean, I'm in California, and I gotta find a place to live, and like, I don't know, that, all right, I'll, you know, I'll go to your, and she said, we'll drive you to two, and I said, okay, but then you have to find a ride for the other two, and I was like, oh my god, I don't know anybody here, like, whoo, that's difficult, so, um, you know, I, so, you know, I went to that rehab, um, I went to my first meeting, which was um, an NA meeting, and it was really, like, live and active, and it's, scared me to death. I was like, oh my gosh, you know? And when I was new in sobriety, I didn't know how to talk really. I couldn't communicate with people. Like I couldn't sit down and have a conversation with you because in like 30 seconds, I would forget if you were talking to me or not. So like, you know, I that was just like a little overwhelming. So my rehab said, well, continue to go to meetings until you find one that you like. And I was like, uh. Oh. So then I found, you know, a couple of meetings with some older ladies that were really quiet. And I was like, oh, you don't seem very scary. I feel like I could talk to you maybe. Um, and you know, sitting in the rooms with them, like what a blessing that was. Cause I didn't, I don't have a DUI. I don't, cause I was in bed for 10 years, you know like I wasn't getting out and driving. That's the only reason why. Um, I didn't have anything court wise going on. I didn't, wasn't financially um, in any kind of, you know, restraints. Um, there was no, um, there was no thing that was like, if you don't, you know, you need to do this. You need to get sober. Um, but when I sat in the rooms of AA, like I heard how you guys felt. I heard you talk about that spiritual malady. I heard you talk about um, just that um, restless irritable discontent, you know? And I was like, ooh, that sounds familiar. You know, um, I was like that, and, but I never thought something like this would work for me. I, I, I just didn't, I was like, I think that, cause I've, you know, tried counseling. I've tried, you know, like you name it, I've tried doing it, nothing's helped. Um, but I was like, they all just seem so happy. And, you know, I I'd go to um, meetings and I go out to AA birthday parties and stuff and everybody's laughing and having a good time. And I'm just sitting there next to people just like, Oh my God, I made it to the party. You know, I would talk to somebody for five minutes and I was like, Oh, you did a good job there. You know, um, they kept telling me to get a sponsor. And I was like, what that is, <laughs> I don't think I want one. Um, So my roommate in rehab goes, God told me to give you this piece of paper. You call this woman's phone number, and she will sponsor you. And I was like, oh, that sounds easy. I'll do that. You know, it's less awkward than walking up to somebody. So I called her, and I said, you know, hi, Rebecca, will you sponsor me? And she goes, sure. (laughs) And she was such a gift in my early sobriety. And she gave me two phone numbers, and she said, I want you not to Uber to meetings. I don't want you to drive it. Well, my car wasn't out here because so I couldn't drive myself. But she's like, I want you to rely on the women in AA to pick you up and take you to meetings. And I was like, I don't, what, I mean, what? So, um, you know, I called the two women's numbers with the St. community like I did. And one of them ended up being my trudging buddy for the first couple of years of sobriety. Um, and that's just because I, I did what I was told to do. You know, I picked up the phone and I called her and she said, yeah, I'll pick you up and take you to meetings. She goes, be ready at 5.30 a.m. I said, oh. And I was like, 8, 5.30 AM, they have meetings that early, what? And I was like, okay, but you know, I needed to check off the four meetings. So, you know, I was like, all right, well, no, okay, I'll do it. And so, um, and then she picked me up and take me um, to a Sunday night meeting. And then the other woman that I, that was on that list that I called, she ended up later being my sponsor. Um, I, the, the second sponsor I had, I remember calling her one time and I was like, um, yeah, so I'm really depressed. So, and I thought I was calling in sick for like the next three days. Cause I mean, like, I should mention, like, I was like suicidally depressed for the first three and a half years of sobriety. I just like it did, but I had been my entire life. So that was a normal state of being for me. Um, it wasn't until I was about three and a half years sober that that lifted for me. Um, and that's something that I never thought would happen for me. So, um, yeah, I called her and I was like, so I'm depressed. I think I'm gonna be in bed for the next three days. So, like, don't expect me to be anywhere. And she says to me, when my son died, I never missed a meeting. And I was like, Oh, this is awkward. <laughs> uh, you know, cause I, the message I got from that was like, I have to come up with something bigger than the loss of a child to miss a meeting. I'm still looking for that. You know, I'm still <laughs> like, okay, what is like worse than, um, and I haven't found it. So I just show up to meetings and it's women like that in my early sobriety. It just like taught me how to behave, taught me how to show up. Um, you know, and, and I, that's exactly, I mean, some people are like, that's pretty harsh. And I was like, it's exactly what I needed. Because I didn't even know you were supposed to show up for work. Like, I didn't know that, like, showing up five days a week for work was, like, an important thing. You know, I was just like, you go whenever whatever you want, right? Um, and, you know, um, I, you know, I heard the promises in AA, which the ninth step promises, which Google them after if you want to, because I can't quote them. Um, but, you know, it was... Um, to comprehend the word serenity and the feeling of uselessness and self pity will slip away. I was like, I've never not, I mean, I can't imagine that feeling of uselessness and self pity not being there. So I became willing to work the steps, you know. So I got a sponsor, you know, started with step one, worked up to step 12. I've had the honor of sponsoring, you know, a lot of women, and they're such a blessing, I mean, to me, because that's because really you can tell if this program works for you if you walk through the steps with a sponsor and then you, um, walk through the steps um with the sponsee and that's when you can truly step back and say like yes this program works in my life or no it doesn't I didn't plan on doing it forever I kind of thought I'd give you guys like one year see how I feel you know because I had so much other stuff going on um, and I was like if I don't feel better in a year then I'm out of here but really within six, six months I mean I was still severely depressed but I knew I was better than I ever had been ever drinking I knew even before I was better than I'd ever been even before I ever started drinking and I was like, "There's something to this." I still didn't believe it would happen. You know, like I would have that um, spiritual experience, but I was like, I'm, "I'm just willing to do the work." So I worked my steps. Um, I got up to do step nine. I flew home to Missouri to make an amends to my father, to my entire family, actually. So I mean, it's the whole purpose of my trip. You know, I got to sit across the um, my dad's desk, because we did it in his office, and I got to sit down and, and for the first time ever, owning my part in that situation. And it was the first time. My fourth and fifth step, it's the first time I was ever honest about what my part was in that situation. Because coming into AA, I had such a resentment towards him, and I remember people telling me, get over it, and I would say, I don't know how to do that. And they're like, You've had a suicide attempt over this. I was like, I don't know how to get over it. Counseling never helped, but AA taught me because I had to look at my part. But AA taught me how to get over it, how to own my part and sit across. And, you know, my dad and I still don't have, like, we're not, like, super, like, hey, how are you? Like, hugging each other and all that. But um, but I, I have a relationship that I'm meant to have with him today. Like, when we sit down and have dinner, I'm not crazy in my head, like, resentful and mad at him and, you know, all spun out. And that that is a gift that AA gave me that I just never, I mean, I never thought that that would be possible. That I could have a relationship with that man, you know? Um and, you know, I think, um, so, you know, I, I really in AA, they talk about like having a life beyond our wildest dreams and, you know, people would go like, oh, I have pretty wild dreams, but spending 10 years, like isolated and drinking and, and using drugs. Um, and that was the whole of my life, like beyond my wildest dreams are um, small things like taking a shower every day, um, having friends being able to stand here in front of you tonight and speak. I mean, I just never, um, you know, being happy, not feeling suicidal. I mean, these are the things that like, you know, I just are completely beyond my love streams. I didn't know it was possible. Um, I thought it was great that everybody else had it. I didn't think it was possible for me. Today, um, you know, I, you know, I got a job in sobriety. I um, worked there for two and a half years. I gave my notice. They were real mad when I gave my notice, which, you know, I was like, thank you, would you like me? Um I, you know, I'm on to a new job now, but like I never called in sick once to that job, even when I had COVID. I didn't know I had a tweet there. I went in and then tested and was like, okay, I have go home but I never called in sick once. And this is from a girl that like, didn't know you should show up every week. You know Um, you know, I have friends today. I have a relationship with my entire family. I have my dog back, you know, the four month old that was in the little papoose. It was like, please don't drink, you know? And um, you know, uh, I have a great relationship now. Uh, I have a boyfriend who's also uh, 11 years sober you know, I'm, I'm grateful that we have this this sober home that's safe and it's quiet and there's um, none of the chaos, you know, because I'm not bringing that chaos into it. Um, for my friends um, and all the beautiful women that I get to sponsor, um, this is really a beautiful life. And if you're new, please just stay, you know, get somebody's phone number, ask someone to sponsor you. Just be willing um, for a year just to do this and um, and just see where you are, you know, cause it is a life down my wildest dreams. So, and you know, thank you for letting me share.